And I remember I got, I got the email from uh, a supervisor. Um, I thought it was a joke, basically. Um, they said, no, can you come to the studio tomorrow? The designer wants to meet you. Hello, my name is Bunham and welcome to Crew Chats podcast where I speak to the people that work behind the scenes in film, TV and theatre. So, ever dreamed of working on a superhero movie when you were a child? Well, that was what costume concept artist Benjamin Ip wanted to do. Initially wanting to pursue a career in fashion illustration, life took him down the path of a makeup artist, but came full circle when his childhood dreams came true and he had the opportunity to work as a costume concept artist on films such as Marvel's Eternals, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania and Venom. 3, as well as shows such as The House of Dragons and Wednesday, amongst others. Hi, Ben. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for coming on to the podcast. So you're a costume concept artist. And what does that involve for you? Basically, I'm I'm like a a communication device, I guess, for a costume designer. And I'm there to help, I guess, visually represent what the direction they're going in. Um, Sometimes it's to help with the problem solving of the design itself to get made. And a lot of the time these days, it's to sort of communicate to studios what direction the design is going in and get that kind of approved. So there's kind of a lot of um, trying to get things green lit and get costumes like uh, passed by uh, or passed through. Yeah, so I kind of like help them visualize and get a kind of a visual representation of where they're going and what they're thinking. Um, you mentioned a few things. You mentioned the costume designer and the studio, both things I'm actually quite interested in. So, but I'll touch on the first relationship, which is your relationship with the costume designer. How important is it? Um, how do you build rapport? Is rapport necessary? Um, <laughs> and that's a, maybe a silly question to ask, but I guess, yeah. are you no, getting I employed mean, knowing them? Because often I assume you may come onto jobs where you haven't met the designer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I would say the first string of jobs that I did and was really like fortunate to get were kind of on the back of the first job. So that was all very like, I guess, yeah, like kind of um, recommendation and networking in within the job itself, um, which I think is such an important part that gets overlooked by a lot of uh, kind of uh, people in the industry. It's probably the most important part, basically, because I think every job's different and sometimes that's what you have to kind of like get your head around is how does this designer work and how do they like to go through their process and you know who do they use and what who do they utilize to do what um in that process but it's literally like me and them a lot of the time it's kind of a direct line to the designer they're literally sat at my desk talking me through um the ideas they've got the sort of jumping off points that they want to start with or, or they've got it in their head and they literally need me to draw it out exactly how they can see it in their head. Um, so, yeah, I think the rapport is probably the most important thing. Uh, that's why for me anyway, that social aspect is so, and the communication and being able to kind of like express yourself and um, get on the same page as the designer is probably one of the most important parts of my job. Do they come with come to you with their own um drawn designs often yeah I mean again every single job is completely different but um I'll get uh anything from a previous artist's work to look at uh, a sketch they've had done you know way in way before in prep I can have a a kind of a rudimentary line sketch uh or I have references and they'll kind of like uh kind of pointing out the details that they like in certain references and what kind of elements they want to keep and then it's kind of my job to sometimes like find a way to work them in together. And then I guess that's a process of for them to look at it and kind of go, oh, I really lo- love how this is working or this isn't working for me. Let's change this element. So it kind of varies person to person. But yeah, sometimes I'm getting 
sketches from them. And um, what's your process in this? Like, how do you start when you get on top? Oh, get a cup of tea, <laughs> no, get, get a hot drink, get cozy. <laughs> I like to, I think drawing for me is like always been uh, a real link to childhood because it's just what I always did. It's what I always used to do um, with my sort of spare time. And I love getting cozy and getting like uh, an environment that I felt comfortable in. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, nesting at a station, wherever that is. That's why I think a lot of people, they're kind of, they're, I think they're quite conscious of that actually for artists because we don't move a lot. You know, we're kind of stuck at our desk. We don't, it's kind of like where we sit and then sketch away and you can kind of get, you know, contorted into really awkward positions and you just like, you, before you know it, four hours has gone by. Um <laughs> And that's how it was as a kid, you know, so I kind of like recreate that environment. So yeah, get get co- get comfortable and then uh, start with the references. And then what I like to do is kind of see if I can elaborate on that. So I'll understand the kind of mood and the kind of vibe they've set for a character and that look and then kind of see if I can add to that kind of pot of references. Um, unless obviously they're very like very direct about what they want and they want me to just focus on these. I'll do that. Um, but if there's room to like kind of look outside of that I will um and then also try and visualize it in my head because that's the hardest part like if I can't see the costume in my head and that's why I guess it again comes down to the communication between me and the designer if I can't see it then I don't really know what I'm drawing and I don't know how it feels very like wading through mud trying to draw that way it's very uh, arduous but like if I could see it then it's great and then all I'm looking for perhaps is some more um visual references that I can just use for lighting or texture of material and that's just that's just to help me draw so um yeah gathering references probably like you could do that for a whole day uh, or a whole half a day you know kind of just uh, the more you have the quicker you can do the artwork okay so, uh, you touched on a few things there and I, you sort of t- you said textures and such sort of mm-hmm. things like that and overall mm-hmm. the the vision is the the costume designers, but are you interacting with other de- other departments in the costume department as yeah, well? Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I made sure of that on my very first job because I was so I was so so excited to be there. I, it was the first time I met you actually. It was Yay! twenty twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah. My last um, it's also been my longest job that I've ever had, but um. I made sure that every day I would go for a walk to stretch my legs and just go into another room and see who was in there and you know maybe maybe that's frowned upon or maybe it's kind of not quite about so naive that I just walked around and I was like I'm getting a free behind the scenes tour this is amazing and um you know I was the nerd I'm such a movie nerd that I was always looking at special features for behind the scenes featurettes and stuff because I just was fascinated by how they made films so I'd make sure I did that and so I'd make I kind of like got my head around a lot of the departments but most of the time I was like I don't know what these people do I don't know what they're in charge of and that again changes job to job but I'll yeah I guess breakdown and textile art so print as well like that's kind of helpful because especially if we're if we're creating the fabric for the outfits for the for the costumes then I'll need to look at like what they're doing because I can you know, in a design, I can gesture texture, but it's not my forte to sit and create a pattern. Uh, there's colleagues of mine, like graphics artists that do that, that can literally, that's their kind of uh, speciality. That department, uh, makers, because I had to understand quickly how kind of garments are constructed. That's really important because either I'm drawing something that we don't know how physically that could happen, or it just brings that level of reality if I know where seams should be and then how fabric behaves. Uh, that's a massive part of working specifically in costume. If you understand that velvet 
sits differently to satin and to you know paint and leather they're all so they behave so differently and obviously i've got to get that visual language across in the way that it's drawn so you can read it at the te- as the texture that the designer wants it to be um but it just yeah brings that level of like communication if it also behaves the way it should um and sits in the on the body and you know in the artwork in the way it should so yeah i'd say makers breakdown textile art um and then just anyone else that I find fascinating, like jewellery. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm just as guilty of doing a bit of a walkabout now now and yeah. then, not all the time, if anyone who's ever worked with who That's got to be a great <laughs> time of the job, is that yeah, you, it's get, so you nice. get to kind of head around the movie magic, the, the kind yeah. of the process that makes it. Exactly, it's the stuff that people would kind of like watch the extra DVD, extras on the that no, yeah. you no know, DVDs anymore. I guess people don't necessarily buy them. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like the thing that people would want to like watch. At least I would, anyway. I was was really fascinated, like you. Um. So yeah, why not? If you're in that world, why not go and have a look at what who else who the next department's making next to you? Yeah. Um. Um. You mentioned being a lover, being being a lover, a loving. <laughs> you mentioned I'm one of those as well. <laughs> you mentioned enjoying drawing as a child, uh, which yeah. leads me on to my next question, which is how did you get into what you do? And right. It's a bit com it's a bit convoluted. It's not but I think with most creative paths they are that way. Very much so. Um, you know, it's not linear. And that's yeah. what I think people don't maybe understand when they're coming from outside the industry. But so yeah, always drawn, uh, always sketched, loved creating characters, literally like I think I used to spend most of my six weeks summer holidays just creating superheroes. Um, so that's the genre that I always, I think, had an affinity to. Um, and always loved the team aspect of those superheroes. Like, I loved the fact that everyone had a different personality. Maybe it's the diversity part that I really enjoyed. The X-Men by, you know, Marvel's X-Men. They're, oh. they're my favourites and they're so diverse. And I love how it was kind of like a family and, you know everyone had their backstory and it was a worldview you know you had all these different races you had different um personalities clashing and getting along and it was kind of like a just yeah like a global family um and I loved that so I've always been obsessed with that so I used to just create new like mutants that I would be like oh it would be great if someone had this power and then come up with a whole backstory and then draw a costume so I guess I was unknowingly doing the job before I even really thought about it yeah um and I just, yeah, I think in the back of my head, I was always like, I'm going to be an artist. Uh, always, I guess, nurtured that, pra- like practiced that, but never knew what I would do with it. I think I I did want to be, uh, I did want to get into being a comic book penciler. That was my next oh, wow. best. But then I panic because I think, oh, I don't really draw buildings or like trees. What am I going to do with like backgrounds and things? I just love people. I love like focusing on the individuals and the personalities. So yeah, that was always a dream. And then that was kind of a bit of a pipe dream because it was like, how am I going to, I'm going to have to go to America. I'm going to have to be in New York. How do I do that? But I used to idolize a lot of uh, animation and uh, comic book art and trying to get, I guess, get school and and places to take that seriously because it was really mm. important. But um, then I kind of uh, had to do my art foundation. So I don't know if, did you do an art foundation? I did, yeah. Where did you do yours? I did mine in Nottingham. So it was in the city next to where I'm from in Derby. But um, it was a great college. It was honestly, I was really reluctant to do it because I just felt like it was going to put me a year behind all my peers. And I would panic about that. But um, I really loved the course. I got to try all these different things because that's the thing, the I guess the academic part of creative or the the creative part of our academic um, curriculum means that people end up getting a chance to do certain things that other people don't. Mm. 
So like photography, I'd never looked at that at school, but I got to do it at college. Mm. Um, and that kind of opened my eyes a lot. And I kind of I started uh, pushing towards doing fashion illustration because I think, you know, I got to like being um, sort of 17, 18 and was like, oh, I want to work in fashion. It's so cool. It's so glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> and I really wanted to do that. Uh, and so I ended up finding one course at London College of Fashion, Fashion Illustration. And it's just bizarre, isn't it? Because you have to apply for your course before you've even finished our foundation. Mm. From like learning and trying new things. But I've already applied for my courses at way back when. Um, mm. Like everyone does that at school, don't you? You apply before you even finish. Yeah. And before you get your grades. So I had applied for other courses of illust- general illustration, uh, games design. But I, I was such a snob. I was like, I've got to go to London. So... I got into London College of Fashion and I did one year and I left um, because the course was so um, in its infancy. I think that only the the graduating first year was only just graduating as I started. So they'd not really had a lot of like full uh, run throughs of the course. And um, I just didn't learn anything. And, you know, we were paying like so many thousands of pounds per year for it. And I was very aware of that and aware of the debt that I was accruing. So um, I... I basically said I'd just not learning anything and I'd kind of like tried a bit of makeup um at college uh, just helping out people photograph their uh fashion designs and um you know helping them with styling their hair and makeup and that was just something that I found fun you know America's Next Top Model was a huge show when I was like growing up and that kind of you know the photo shoot you got to see behind the scenes of that and I was like loving that um and one tutor just sort of said what if that's your profession and illustration is your kind of hobby and I guess it really kind of stuck in my head and so I ended up quitting uh university and I went back and I'd actually been offered a job at a Mac store back home um and that's what I ended up doing so I started going into makeup so I did uh I worked for Mac from 2008 to 2015 um and I kind of it was kind of funny because I never really I did I did you know I did some dailies on Aladdin I did uh things like music videos and um beauty shoots and you know I kind of did a bit of everything with makeup but I was never I don't think I was really fully invested in it because I think I always wanted to get back to illustration I just didn't know how and um the the beginning I think of of trying to get into the industry I went to my sister had got me a ticket to the Harry Potter studio tour and at that point, I was kind of not really that, uh, you know, I wasn't really that enamored with the franchise. I wasn't, I'd read the book and, and I'd read like the first book and really loved it at school, but I just hadn't really stayed on track with it. And it got away from me, you know, kind of like I thought, oh, they're kiddies films. Um, and then I remember a friend had take, taken me to see like, I think the first part of Deathly Hallows. And I was so like blown away by how mature it had got and how dark it had got. And then I went to the tour and um, I remember crying at the concept art section because I just... Yeah. It was the realization of there's a job that I would love to do, and this is how you do it, and this is what it's called. I'd never known, and it's hilarious because the voucher was about to expire for the ticket. I was so I putting it off, and I went, okay, I better Aww. go. And um, it really like it was a really amazing day because I just was reading all the bits about like, oh, art director does this, and costume designer does this, and you know, an AD does this, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. And but when I got to the concert artist, I remember looking at people like Rob Bliss and just being like oh my god this art is insane and I can't believe that's part of a job that I would love to do and now it has a name and it has a a kind of a place that I can see how it works so uh that was the beginning and so I knew and I was like how the hell do I get into it? I don't know and then it was complete 
a very happenstance reason as to why I got in. It was just a recommendation from somebody that I um, had had a date with actually <laughs> when I was, I was living in London. I was working for Mac, um, and we we kind of stayed in touch on social media. But he basically recommended me to a costume designer at an event in LA. So he himself works for Tom Ford. Oh, okay. I worked with Tom Ford for as long as I'd been in London. Um, he'd moved about the same time as me, and he met the designer who was going to do um the second time they tried to do the flash film for the dc for the dc universe oh. um, and so this was 2016 um at leavesden and he'd said oh i need an illustrator do you know anyone and daniel had just thought oh my god ben draws superheroes ben would love this and he just recommended me um and i remember i got i got the email from uh, a supervisor um i thought it was a joke I was like, oh, this is, I was working in TV, like as a runner, just because I didn't want to work in retail. And uh, it was, I thought it was a joke. And then basically um, they said, no, can you come to the studio tomorrow? The designer wants to meet you. And I was, I had no idea. You know, I took like a sketch pad and like some pens and stuff. And I was like, where have they even seen my work? I don't know where this has come from. And it was Instagram. It was like, you know, the early days of Instagram, he'd been told about my work through Daniel. That had made him look at my work. I did some sketches that day. And then they were like, when can you start? And I remember I went to the bathroom, called my sister, and I was just like beside myself because I, I couldn't believe that as well. The fuck, because I didn't know what project it was. You know, when you kind of like get in, I knew there was a code name for it, and I thought it was a superhero, but wasn't sure. And I was looking at these mood boards, thinking like, what is this movie? And lo and behold, it was The Flash, and I, I just couldn't believe it because as a superhero fan, I was like, I'm, I can't believe this is my first thing. And yeah, and it obviously, unfortunately, didn't actually materialize because uh, there was that like, creative differences and the director quit. But and that's obviously now been done um, with Andy Muschietti. Uh, like they've finally, finally did it. It's coming out this year. But um, that was the springboard there. Yeah, I met, I met a few people and then it took a whole year before then I met your Maleficent. And that was the <sighs> first proper job. But 2016 was the sort of like taster so many things I want to ask you about this (laughs) but the one when you have subsequently worked on a number of superhero films um yeah so Ant-Man Eternals Loki the the child in you must just be so happy yeah and I try and keep that try and keep that alive because I think it's very easy with anything as an adult to kind of like lose that (sighs) be get jaded and lose that kind of like sense of wonder but um I have to pinch myself all the time, you know, like I've, I've, I've hit the, you know, I'm not, not trying to brag, but just like, I've been very fortunate to be part of quite big projects and um, Disney, uh, you know, I was a huge classic Disney era, like kid uh, growing up in like early nineties. So Disney, Marvel, DC. Yeah. I've kind of like ticked all the things that like, you know, used to blow my mind and would only dream of working for. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of crazy, but uh, yeah, I am sometimes. I'm mostly in a state of pinch myself all the time. <laughs> That's lovely. But just go to go back to your question of how you kind of got to. Just when you did quit university, were you really scared? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. I, maybe I was again just very naive at that age, but I I was scared because I was, I guess, going against the grain and kind of like against the the crowd and especially at that age you know like Mm. more so in school but even still at university and college you kind of like I remember I remember being very influenced by peers still and you know wanting to fit in it was a part I think you think as well at that age that every decision you make is like the be and end all yeah 
And oh my God, no one wants to waste time. No one wants to kind of be like, oh, I did this for three years. And I'm like, oh my God, now I'm changing. Yeah. And um, it's just, and I think that's just our industry, isn't it? Like a lot of the skills are so transferable and experience is transferable. Mm. Um, you don't see that and you don't see the connections. But a lot of these, you know, these, this for our industry is just a culmination of skills and talents coming together to create one thing. Yeah. Um, and everyone has something to bring to the table. So uh, I don't think anything is a waste of time. And that's definitely one thing that uh, being like doing makeup taught me was people skills because it's such an intimate thing mm. having someone in your makeup chair and having to get them comfortable to open up and tell you what they want. Um, and then I guess communicate that back to them to make sure that you're both on the same page about what you're doing. I think that taught me so much about, and it made it made it easy for me to walk up to a designer that other people might be a little bit intimidated by, by the whole grandeur of it and kind of just be like, what is it you need? And how mm. can I help you? That's what I'm here to do. So I think that's a real vital part. And I guess I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't have fallen into makeup. No, so, that is, um, it's a really fascinating story. I was kind of, the shoulda, would have, could have a really fascinating part of life just generally, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I mean, all sliding in all, like, doors, like, what if I went on this yeah, escalator? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I still haven't seen sliding doors. Everyone tells me to watch it. Neither have I. I don't, oh. I'm pretending, I see that's a really great way. <laughs> it's a good example of me pretending that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but I use the sliding doors, I use the reference as well. Um, serendipity, isn't it? That's another is, one. Serend- serendipity, the film, I think, but the, by the word exists anyway. Like, so, but what you're, trajectory into the film or your path yeah. into the film world is is parts of it are so indipitous like if your sister hadn't given you that ticket to the harry potter yeah 100 you, know, you know there's little moments and things that kind of are put into place i think i was i think what my husband was saying actually is like so much of life is like is a mixture of things and it could be like skill some luck but also timing timing, timing. Yeah. um and and, and when you do like, things it's so important you're like Timing in terms of like, oh, did you step into that, you know, elevator and meet that person at the right time? But also, like, what time in your life you're coming to that that mm. um, opportunity at? I remember after the um, first opportunity on the Flash, and then obviously that kind of went under. That was my first experience. That's never, luckily, touch wood, that's never happened in another job to me. But I would kind of ask people, you know, I'd only been there sort of six weeks, seven weeks. I was like, is this is this common? Does this happen all other like? Mm. It's not super common but it does happen and everyone was stunned you know and I was trying to explain to my mum because she was so happy for me that I got that that break and I'm like mum like people in accounts have lost their job like everyone's lost their job because the whole project's gone it's not like it's just me um and uh, that helped me get through the shock of it as well I was just like you know it's not it's not a single thing it's not an individual thing it's a whole um the whole the whole team things you were saying. the timing yeah and I always remember after that thank you uh that I said to myself that if I got another opportunity I'll be fine I just need the opportunity um I'll you know prove myself and I'll work hard and I'll I'll do what I have to do um I'll speak you know kind of speak and network and and everything but I just needed the opportunity and so then that was a case of just like again waiting for the right time but being present enough to then make the most of it when you get it I think yeah I think I do agree then you said it sort of said it earlier you know always kind of pinching yourself and we do often I think it's just natural in life that you kind of get a bit jaded and you you get a bit com- like com- like kind of want to use the word comfortable but like comfortable complacent, <laughs> complacent yeah um, um with where you are and I do sort of I mean people on the outside think it's very very glamorous what we do and I think there was a sat- mm-hmm. uh, um, 
Sandy Powell video. I don't know if you saw her on Instagram. She did like a little interview. Yeah. And that's like one yeah. of the biggest misconceptions. And it is one of the biggest yeah. misconceptions. But yeah. it's still pretty cool what we do. Absolutely. So it, I think people, like, as a consensus, generally, people will be quite in awe of what we do. Um, You mentioned that, I think you did touch upon it, is what degree of creativity do you have? Like, do you, how um, much of your own creativity can you kind of bring to the table? I guess, the I guess as much as you feel comfortable with in the environment and with the with the designer. There are instances where it's just, I guess, not needed. It's not necessary or they kind of express that, like, uh, they've got a vision and they kind of, they want to stick with this. Mm. And that's fine. But there's always going to be an element of what if it was a bit longer? What if it was a bit more voluminous? Or what if it was more structured? And, you know, just the way you draw things can sometimes really, I've realized this for people reading it, they can completely, like, interpret it in a different way. Mm. so and I was like I hadn't even thought of that I was seeing it like this and so it's great when the designer has an eye that they can pick on like oh that just needs to be moved over oh that needs to be a little bit like straighter that line and that's great but um I feel like as much yeah as much as you're comfortable with and I guess keeping an element of that naivety is is helpful because I think if you get too kind of worked up in the politics of, of of it all you stifle yourself and then you end up just kind of not being able to come up with much at all you just kind of like it probably feels quite stagnant for you as well as a as a creative or as a for you know as an individual yeah. maker or drawing or designer kind of like um being a maker a modeler I think I think yeah if you bring a little bit and it's just for the sake of like oh I just thought maybe I'd look at this sometimes they're happy accidents and they actually they work really well and the designer loves them and they kind of want to roll with that and other times they it's otherwise it might even like just keep the focus on that that's definitely not what we want to do we want to focus on this we want to do yeah. more they have more information than us don't they you know they kind of they perhaps see the arc of where they, they were going the whole picture yeah. yeah and that's kind of for you it wasn't even on your radar so you didn't realize you were perhaps doing an element that's going to go to a different character or that's not happening in this film but it might happen in the sequel you know what i mean like for the journey yeah. of so i think yeah as much as you feel comfortable with but but have fun with it. It's nice that you're able to bring that to the table when, yeah. when in appropriate situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you like to see um, change in our industry? I don't know. I loved your um, podcast with, I think, is it Dan Grace? Is it Dan Grace? Yeah, the supervisor. Yeah, yeah. The supervisor, yeah. And he... Um, I just I've loved listening to all the different ones and the, you know, the roles that I haven't I don't really come across like the intimacy coordinator that was like fascinating to me I was oh, like this is amazing and obviously the designers like it's nice <laughs> to listen to their, their thinking and their processes like I loved Kim Barrett and obviously Sammy Sheldon I work with but Lindy Hemming was so entertaining oh I, can't, I don't even know what this woman looks like but I can imagine and I and her voice is so characterful and I just loved how she kind of like just frank and to the point and very humble very honest yeah um, I love that. Um, but yeah, the Dan Grace's one, it was the point he made about, uh, like, I guess, the diversity and about how um, if the people, it's such a closed industry that if people were aware of the jobs that were available and the skills that were needed and, you know, what is it that that role involves? And people could, there's so many people from different walks of life um, could realise that they have the skills needed to do mm. that job. There's so many people I know doing different jobs that I think they would be amazing at this job kind of think it, it would have to come from like you said going into schools and getting like perhaps open open day experience not as much like a work experience but kind of like just what I had on the Harry Potter tour 
you don't need to see the tour and you know everything's got to make money but you can convey that information and you can show people what these jobs do talk them through with kids and then kids can get their head around it and then you'd have more more of a amazing melting pot of talent coming Mm. with different different backgrounds different experiences you know different uh things to bring to the table and i just think every, i honestly like i'd say this a lot but there's there's so much room for everyone on a film and i don't think you know some people work in this way and some people work in this way but everyone there's room for everyone mm. even if it's I just agree. that they're doing a small portion it just adds a different flavor to the to the mix and it then it obviously gets creates a probably a more dimensional kind of product in the end so I think that's a really important thing is the diversity and the kind of that you know having a bit more of an open door when it comes to people coming into the industry because all it takes is one one opportunity like for me like one, one, one yeah one little moment and it can change everything and if it's for them it's great and if not then but you could be you know could be harboring such good talent if we did that and then I think the only other thing is becoming a bit more aware of the studio aspect of and the money aspect of making movies um as as I kind of like do more and I think it's just that um miscommunication between art and commerce so the fact that you have creatives I mean I had this in makeup as well but it's the creative aspect and you know the language that we use and the way in which we work it's so hard to kind of like put it into a nine to five spin even though that's what the film industry tries to do um, I don't know about you, but do you come into the studio at 8 a.m. and just get straight into it and you're like G'd up or does it sometimes certain yes. days you're like going, 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 going. And other days you're just sort of like, this isn't working. I hate this. Like, this isn't working. Yeah. Uh, I need a walk. I need to clear my, my head because I, I can't get my head around it. It's very hard, isn't it, to just go go and then yeah. work. And I don't think sometimes there are, there are roles in, in the roster that don't get that uh, because they're very money focused and very just like, schedule focused and and it's it's sometimes hard when those things come together to try and see eye to eye and work in tandem with each other you know we need structure and we need deadlines and we need kind of like someone keeping a hand on the steering wheel while we're off you know doing creative fun things but um I find there's sometimes unnecessary miscommunication or misunderstanding or just like a, a lack of understanding about how everyone works differently and we're all here doing our job we're not trying to like mess around but kind of just getting a little bit of that maybe um benefit of the doubt would be great that's such an interesting um point because and there's a lot more conversation and just so just slightly off tangent this bit is that people learn in different ways but also that people work in different ways as well and that kind of touches on that some people do need i mean i for one i mean i know that i mean yeah i would you sometimes use a break you need to go for a walk you need to you need to do something else to then come back to something else because it's something else working um but yeah people are productive in different ways i find in the creative industry i agree with you there's it's just a different way of operating your brain operates slightly differently to say if you're you know in charge of the money say for example or you know you're working yeah. on deadline like you know studios i'm just I'm not just studios yeah but, yeah um, big umbrella yeah um but that is a really it's a very interesting point i, I mean inevitably think like you say everyone's the aim is the same is to get this yeah. production made so what medium do you work in within your process? Um, so digital, pretty much. Like I have a background in, in drawing uh, traditionally and like I only I only started drawing digitally for this industry. Um, I kind of had to get to grips with the with using a tablet. But um, I think our industry just requires us to be so fast and to be able to produce like a volume of work that only really digital work can provide. However, 
you know, if there was a need to do traditional work, you know, with pencil and paper or pens, uh, fashion illustration is very like swift, quick, and you use inks. So it's very, you know, you can't undo that. Um, and you're not sketching a lot. Um, so I used to love working in that. But digitally, yeah, because um, and the way in which you draw is very processed. Um, so if you're quite an organized person, I think it really helps for costume because you're perhaps creating a uh, a costume that has many elements and perhaps they want to see it without the hat or with the hat mm. or, you know, with the cape, without the cape. And so it's like uh, when you'll see it, it's layered uh, and they're all in. So I, I, I'm such a, you know, a uh, uh, Marie Kondo when it comes to my artwork. I'm like... <laughs> everything's color coded everything's like in a, in a folder so I can quickly click off the cape and make sure that the shadows and the lighting still works without it so it's almost like a paper doll really it's kind of like dressing them like that so mm-hmm. you can kick off elements and keep them on or like put them together and change the drawing for that and that's just because um of that industry I wouldn't normally draw like that because it's quite it, in some ways it's quite inorganic you know it's not quite free-flowing you have to think about like how you're like positioning things mm-hmm. but um yeah, I get I get asked that quite a lot. I think people want to see how the image is constructed, but it's the quickest way, you know, to change your color um, digitally. You can kind of highlight the the color you need, and then just run it through a um, uh, like a, a a hue change or like put an overlay of color on top and uh, switch it. So I think just for the yeah for the industry. However, I do really admire um, pencil sketches and kind of like kind of that traditional artwork when it comes to sort of supplementing perhaps an initial sketch or idea um, and like taking it then further for studios and presentation purposes. Um, And we spoke about this before we were recording, but um, where do you think the world of AI sits? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm, (laughs) I guess I'm, but I think anyone's a little bit uh, tentative and a little bit kind of, they get the back up quite quickly when you start talking about AI for anything, because it Mm. feels like you're being replaced. Um, I think it's quite fascinating from my little knowledge I have. It's basically like you're feeding a algorithm and a program information and then it's help. You can sort of say, uh, you know, an image of a woman on a beach, uh, long hair, blonde or, you know, long hair braided. And it'll kind of come up with it'll kind of, you know, sandwich and sandwich jigsaw pieces together, Frankenstein things together. And maybe it's a great way to kind of play with you know the countless combinations you could create but I don't think anything can quite replicate the nuances that you need you know every time I've seen people do these uh, portraits of themselves um I'm just like they always look boss-eyed they're always like cross-eyed and I don't know how that's happening with the with the way that it's piecing together in the anatomy or the facial kind of features but they always look a bit off but you know and it's and it's kind of crazy these days to look at stuff you know I see like uh AI generated images that are of uh, perhaps a fashion show that didn't exist it's a you know it's a mucular like imaginary men's fashion show and I'm like oh god is that not a photograph and I have to look closer bizarre because you know they're using real world imagery to recreate something so uh, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit not into it, <laughs> but, but I do think uh, perhaps on a rudimentary level or on a an, an initial exploration, it might help. But the same things with like writing, isn't like AA generated writing. It's uh, yeah. it's not maybe it's not going to be quite as uh, subtle or I don't know. Who knows? Um, yeah, I'm kind of on the same as as you. I'm very like on the cautious side of these things, but. I think it's like with anything like with photography probably back back in the day 
and then CGI more more recently. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess these things kind of we as humans and creatives will learn to sort of sit side by side Absolutely, with yeah. these things. I think maybe there's that it's the it's the human level that we are like resistant to it for. Mm. It's that kind of like not willing to embrace something else doing it where I guess you pride yourself on being like, oh no, that needs to be, you know, a human doing that. Yeah. A can't do that. Um so I think that's probably why we would naturally flinch when people mention the AI. I, yeah, I would completely I'm the same. Maybe it's just the human condition of being feeling like you're gonna get replaced. But yeah. um but yeah, like I think times change and technologies change and uh, like you perhaps it's just a case of working in sort of tandem with it and finding a place for it to fit if it helps. Yeah. Exactly. And like you say, the, the human nuance touch is something I think will, that you will always yeah. be required. You can't really replace that. Yeah. So on to my final question, and that is, what are your three to watch recommendations? Oh, okay. This is, you know, this is scary to ask anyone who likes film. It's so hard. And you're like, I'm going to get judged on this, aren't I? I'm going to get people. No, no, you're not. They can be as like, <laughs> people are really, people often are really like, can they be cheesy? Can they be something? I'm like, if someone asks me mine, mine are really weird combo of things yeah yeah i quite like like to do that you know nerdy versus emotional yeah that's when people ask me what my favorite movies are i find it hard because i'm like i have to have one from every genre at Mm. least so i'll talk about one i saw really recently and i think it's about like a lot of the time with movies i think it's if i have an emotional reaction to it i find it very it would go straight into a top 10 for me or you know top films so i just saw close a couple of weeks ago and it was nominated uh for one of the best foreign language films or international films is what they call it now i think and it's from belgium and it's basically this incredibly like uh intimate look at um, male friendship and these two boys are probably it looks like they're going from primary school to secondary school and um in belgium and it's like how fragile it is uh, and how innocent that friendship is at that age but then suddenly when you start going through adolescence and that start getting it gets looked at by other people and frowned upon or they make comments about it like you know I think they get asked in the film like are you two together at school and they're like no we're just really close we're like almost as close as brothers and they like you know, they spend all summer together and they're like imagination oh. wild together and they're like sleep together, you know, they could sleep into this house. You know, I had a friend like that. She, um, it wasn't a guy, but we basically spent the entire summer at each other's houses. Like that's all we did. Oh. And um, it's very innocent, but you know, people put on their, their kind of societal pressures on them. And oh, then it's yeah. amazing how it cracks their friendship and how suddenly they're not so innocent anymore and um it's really heartbreaking there's like a, i won't spoil it for anyone that wants to watch it there's a there's a very like kind of sad aspect to the film but these like kids are like not even trained actors they're not even very experienced and one of them uh, the director basically picked on a train he had his music in so he couldn't even hear the boy but he saw his mannerisms and his reactions with his friends and he was like would you like to audition for this film and oh, he's wow. the, he's a uh, leo the lead character so um if anyone yeah i just it's like you know maybe there's a slight element that's got that kind of lgbt slant to it or could be viewed that way but they don't even it's not even mentioned but it's like an experience that i can vividly remember and i think it's really special because it's things I would have forgot. I've forgotten about feelings I forgot about at that age. And when somebody then puts it on screen in front of you and you think, how do you know about this? Unless you, unless you had those feelings and how do you remember them? If perhaps like me, you forgot about them and you put mm. them in your past. It just really touched me. I remember coming out, I was a bit of a wreck when I came out, but um, oh. 
it's amazing i think it's really really beautiful and uh it's just yeah it's kind of i guess it, it is just kind of commentary on male friendships and how kind of men interact with each other i guess these are boys but still um how they well it the bit where it fractures yeah. their relationship yeah, kind of goes on to say how we then view male friendships yeah exactly family. exactly yeah. so that was really recently that was came out uh came out this year uh or like well last year was made sounds um, really interesting yeah um and then i guess i had a very similar reaction and was shocked because i thought i was just going to watch a sci-fi film but interstellar is probably in there christopher nolan's interstellar um i know a lot of people love inception but um i've always been fascinated by space uh always loved i find space just incredibly like you know i sometimes can just sit and think about it and yeah, yeah it's quite my blowing. but yeah i just i think it's fascinating um and so i always love those kind of i love cheesy films or like not so cheesy films but you know when there's a spacecraft and there's like a, a crew and everyone's got a role uh, i love sunshine that's one of my favorite films as well by danny Boyle. but um but Interstellar was, I thought I was watching that, a sci-fi film. And so for it to basically be about love and like a father's love for his daughter, mm. it caught me off guard. And I remember I saw it at the IMAX, like at like a midnight showing. And so I think I came out at like three in the morning and I was bawling and I just had to be quiet for a bit. Like <laughs> on the way home, I just had to kind of like process what I'd watched because it was it just yeah caught me off guard and I thought it was beautiful because I'm like you're, you're setting it in sci-fi but it's not actually a yeah, science fiction film yeah. um, and obviously he likes to ground so many films in reality so I love how the ship looks very rudimentary and it looks kind of very unglamorous and the soundtrack like the hands in a soundtrack for that is mm. something that I will put on a lot at work to kind of zone out I find it's quite ah. a, it's very, yeah just very moving uh but I can't, yeah, I will, without fail, will cry every time I watch that film. Oh. I think basically all these films, it's like, if it made me cry, then they're, they're pretty much <laughs> they're emo- emotional masochist. It's like, if, if it cries, then it's going in the top 10. Well done. Well done. Uh, it doesn't take a lot. You know, I cried at Thundercat when I was a kid. Oh. <laughs> it take a lot. But, um, so Interstellar. Uh, and then, the yeah, the third spot's tricky. Um I'm torn because I I want to put an animation in there because I uh, I think I, I kind of get my back up when people kind of like whinge about animation being like, oh, it's just, it's for kids. You know, it's kind of like not, it's not an art form. It's not a film making art form or well, not be taken serious. You know? yeah. um, and I'm, I'm like, well, of course they're focused on like a performance. You've still got the voice performance of an actor. But anyway, um, there is a movie uh called bell that was made by a guy called mamaru hasoda who if i mean i should have probably i haven't even dug deep into this but i think he he used to work at studio ghibli so obviously a lot of people love the ghibli films um like you know my neighbor totoro and um how's moving castle spirited away um and they're beautiful stories like don't get me wrong like i love them but i saw bell um i think it came out in 2021 uh so it was just after the pandemic and um it loosely follows a Beauty and the Beast storyline, but because it's set in a world called You, which is like a where you can people can log in and have like an avatar of themselves, and they kind of like exist in this space and they can network and you know be a singer or do what you know act, do what you want. Um, all these kids in in Tokyo are kind of like, or I don't know if it's in Tokyo in Japan are like uh, kind of logging in and having an avatar and this girl who's so shy likes to sing as a superstar called Belle in that world and they kind of have they analogize the whole Beauty and the Beast storyline within that world but it's also paralleling what's going on in the outside in these kids lives 
Mm. And there's a really amazing, like kind of sad underpinning story that's happening outside. Um, and this girl's got kind of a, you know, a kind of a sad story because she, I think she loses her mum um, as a, as a kid. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's where it's knocked her confidence to sort of sing and stuff, but it visually it's insane. It's so incredible. The music is amazing. The Japanese version is what I saw, but I've even heard the English versions. They've kept the song still has all of the right sound and the, the translation is really good. Um, so it's quite rare that that's happened. Oh, yeah. um, usually one works better than the other and usually it's the original. But um, I saw it in Japanese and I just, uh, the songs are great because she obviously sings within the film and um, soundtrack and the score. But visually it's just really quite beautiful. Uh, obviously he's got a lot of, um, his inspiration and like background coming from the world of Ghibli and that kind of story, visual storytelling. But because uh, and if it wasn't that, then I would have gone with Crouching Tiger and Dragon. I was gonna say you could have a fourth. Well, Crouching Tiger and Dragon. <laughs> I mean, because I'm half Chinese, there's something about that when I watched those films. I guess I was raised on them with my dad. Um, we watched a lot of like you know cool martial arts films, but I always I didn't have the strongest tie to my cultural background and haven't really but they always felt I always when I watched a film a Chinese film it always felt like I was dipping into it I don't know whether you have that at all uh with like um Asian cinema but yeah I can yeah you have that it's like a sort of almost like familiar like nostalgia yeah you just have an affinity for it and um I mean Crouching Tiger again it's like yeah it's a martial arts film and the martial arts choreography looks like dancing but it's just a it's a love story and it's like well, it's kind of like an emotional story and uh, passing through like mentors and kind of like, uh, and then there was a relationship between Chao Yun-Fat and Michelle Yeoh. Um, and it's got one of the most like romantic lines that I think like heartbreaking lines like in that in the, in that film um, when, when Chao Yun-Fat is like, is dying. But I just remember that film, like and, it, and the fact that it had, I guess I was really proud of it because it had, because it uh, was nominated for Oscars and Angry got really a lot well. great commercials. Yeah, because Ang Lee got so much praise for it. I think I always felt quite proud of that film. Um, and it was out in 2000. So like the millennium was a real, for me, was a very time capsule moment. Like I remember yeah. what was going on at that time. So I remember I just used to watch the sequences again and again and again and again. Oh. And used to try and, again, that was something actually really weird. You know, people ask you, what else would you love to do? if you didn't do what you do yeah that was actually one of my questions I stunt performer was always one really I think I yeah because I was I was really like kind of used to play fight with myself you know kind of like choreograph like stunts and jump off like a garage oh. roof as a kid so <laughs> I think I uh yeah kind of had this like oh my gosh what if I could because it's the closest thing you get to kind of like faking that you did that death-defying thing or that you've got these superhero powers and you yeah. can fly so yeah stuntman is always is always oh i love that so, that <laughs> film i just think yeah it's beautiful um and it's right up there with uh yeah well you can yeah make it make it a four or you can make it a sort of a, a secret entry oh it can be your fourth secret entry <laughs> Um, thank you, Ben, for your recommendations, and thank you for speaking with me. It's been a real no, treat thank chatting you to you. For having me, thank you thank so much. You. It's been I love listening to your podcast, and it was like um, it was just a very flattering and thing to be asked. But oh, thank you, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow, or subscribe on your podcast platform, and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram? Thank you.